With me on the phone from uh, Los Angeles, from Hollywood, is Brian Byrne. Brian, how did you end up with a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame? Well, I'll tell you, I think, Red, um, <clears throat> that was probably my proudest moment in uh, my 40-plus years in broadcasting was to... Uh, to be honored with that. I'm, uh, I think, 11 down from Elvis, if you're ever in, in Hollywood, on Hollywood Boulevard. So it's been a great run. I've certainly found my niche here in the almost 29 years that I've spent uh, at K-Earth 101 and had a very, very loyal listenership over the years. And, uh, you know, we worked a lot with the community and did a lot of things, and uh, it was a, a great thrill. Well, you deserved it. And, uh, Michael, you had a very big question. Brian, I was just wondering, how did you come across the name or have it be bestowed upon you as Mr. Rock and Roll? Well, for years, because of uh, my knowledge and, and, and what I did on the radio as far as the history, um, people would say, gee, you should be Mr. Music or Mr. That or Mr. Whatever. And I was never really comfortable with a with a handle, and I was sitting in my living room one night and uh, amongst the beside 40,000 records that I've collected over the years, I've collected movie posters, and I had noticed that on the half sheet to uh, Love Me Tender, there was a reference, and the only time uh, that there was a reference to Mr. Rock and Roll and in, 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 uh, Elvis's movie, it said Mr. Rock and Roll and the story he was born to play, and I said, you know, that's really not a bad handle, I'll, I'll <laughs> give that a try, and I, I trademarked it. Uh, Many, many years ago, uh, and as Dick Clark uh, told me, he said, Jesus, I should have thought of that. I said, Dick, you thought of everything else. You know, <laughs> leave something for us. <laughs> leave something for the peons. But uh, it actually, I, I started to uh, to use it, and it worked uh, for me, and uh, it's it's just been uh, been great over the years. Well, your old friend, uh, Robert W. Morgan, uh, used to, uh, as he was signing off each morning, say, Hey, I just saw him get out in the parking lot there. This guy knows more about rock and roll than anybody. That's why they call him Mr. Rock and Roll. Remember that? <laughs> well, you know, we got into this business years ago for, uh, I think, one of three reasons. Uh, one, to meet girls. Two, to get rich, of course, which never happened. Never happened. And uh, for the love of the music. And I, uh, that was really what did it for me. Uh, my choice was the to get into this business for the love of the music. If I had a choice between a girl on a turntable or being the first guy to play a new Elvis release or the first to play Baby Workout by Jackie Wilson, I would take that because you can always get another girl tomorrow, but you can't always be the first to, to play that new release. And uh, I think that's been one of the great thrills over the years to uh, you know just have the, uh, the freedom and the immediacy of, of doing things like that in, in radio. What was your, um, in, or who was your inspiration uh when you were a young guy hoping to get into radio, how did that happen for you? I, I think Red Robinson was actually my uh, inspiration. <laughs> oh, come uh, on. I, I listened to, uh, to Red. Uh, my father took me into uh, a radio station when I was 10, and I watched a guy um, do this, and he said, yeah, you can queue up the records and do this, and he said the magic words to me. He said, you see this box of records down here underneath the the console, I said, yeah. He said, well, when they're done with them off the charts, he said, they let you take them home. I said, oh, my goodness, this is great. You not only get to play the record, experience that, talk to the listener, but take the records home. Those were the magic words. So uh, I uh, started hanging more around the radio station. But we're talking about Portland. Actually, that was in um, that was in the Bay Area when, uh, oh. when we lived there before we moved on up to, uh, to Salem. And then I would spend uh, virtually uh, three or four afternoons a week after school uh, hanging around uh, key 
high in Salem and uh, watching the guys do it. Uh, and there was a, a young fellow there at uh, Busy Y by the name of Jim Hutter, uh, who was, uh, I think, probably the, the top jock of the town at the time. And I'd spent some time with Jim and Ray Willis and some of the guys there. And uh, uh, it was just... Uh, I couldn't wait to to actually do that and get on the radio. It was just uh, it's been the love of my life. But your former K Earth boss is who I'm thinking of. I'm sorry, Mike Phillips, who went to a, a polytechnic school there in Portland, and he used to hang around KGW and then ended up on Kissing. Yep. Yeah. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I could have been hanging around a lumber yard. But, <laughs> That's uh, true. I, uh, that was just not my calling. Brian, do you recall your first day on the radio? You know, the first thing that I actually uh, did on the radio, I think I was probably about 13, and I was uh, in Salem at a, a Saturday night YWCA dance a sock hop that they were doing, and I was too shy at that point to go out and dance with the girls, but not too <laughs> too shy to hang around with a jock, and I, I, I don't remember who was on that night, and it was half hour or so into the show, and he said, I'm sick, I'm going home, why don't you take it? And I said, what do you mean me take it? I'm a 13-year-old kid. He says, no, he says, you, you know how to do this, you've watched me enough. He says, I'm, I'm leaving, and he walked out the door. And uh, that was actually, I think, my first night on, on the air, but uh, you know, it's hard to think back over the years. You know, one of the great pluses for me all those years was, you know, and I took photographs, as you know, Brian, and I uh, did interviews and kept them all. And people say, gee, you must have had a sense of the future. And I say, I wish I could say that. But really, I was a fan then. I'm a fan now. And some of the best people I ever met in those days, one was Elvis, Sam Cooke, of course, and uh, all of the artists that came through town. Uh, you know, just amazing. Who were some of your favorites? Fats Domino. Yeah. Uh, Fats was uh, uh, just such a sweet man. Always has been. And uh, it was funny, you know, I, I, I was about 10 and I was in an all-adult club, and uh, I, my mother said, uh, she said, you know, we can't go in there to, to see Fats. And I said, no, I, I've got to see Fats Domino. I've got to see Fats Domino. We got in there, and I got to meet Fats before the police were called and we were thrown out. Um, but Fats asked me, he said, do you play piano? I mean, and i got to tell you, Red, this is probably one of the great thrills of my life. You know, oh. I was 10 years old, and I said, yeah. And he said, fine. He says, I'm, I'm gonna, on a break, and he says, but well, I'm going to come up and do another set. And uh, this, was in, this was in Salem. He got on stage, and he asked me to come up and play Blueberry Hill, and I'm walking with him. Oh, whoa. Uh, I, I don't think my knees stopped shaking for weeks after that. And, of course, the people were... Um, very taken back. I still remember a lady in the back just keeling over, fading. <laughs> I mean, here, here was uh, uh, not only a child in a in a uh, in a club, but uh, on stage with a person of color, which in those days was just, I mean, unheard of. Yeah, unheard of. Yeah. So, uh, my mother looked at me and she said, "You know, nobody's going to speak to us in this town for at least six months." So. <laughs> but she said, "You got to meet Fats Domino." Years later, I ran into Fats. Uh, in Reno, and I said, you know, you haven't been on the West Coast in all these years. I said, do you remember a little boy that came on stage with you years ago and played piano? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I'm that little boy all growing up. So uh, he's been a, a dear friend and, uh, and a lot of lot of nice people. Ricky Nelson, um, just so many. Down Very quiet, years. wasn't he? Oh, yeah. 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 Almost shy, I, I tell people. Very shy. Yeah. And uh, I, I was actually uh, amazed at, at uh, how shy and 
uh, nervous uh, Ricky was. Yeah, yeah. He just always seemed to uh, be so calm and, and collected, and uh, in real life he was uh, he was very shy and, and very nervous. But the sweet man. One of the things that you do now, Brian, and of course, uh, uh, I just love what you do. It's uh, concerts, and you you kind of represent groups. You put packages yes. uh, of rock and roll artists together. Tell us about that. Well, years ago, uh, late '80s. I wanted to uh, do some packages that uh, nobody else had ever done. And I wanted to do uh, 14, 15 acts a night, just come out, sing your one hit, your two hits, all original artists, and just make it a three-hour spectacular. So we put together a show called The Legends of Rock and Roll, which uh, we ran for 12 years here at the Greek Theater. And we did over 100 different artists down through the years. Oh, my. And... A lot of people who had not uh, sung in, in years that we found, people like Ed Townsend, uh, who hadn't worked in years, uh, it, it was just marvelous. Uh, we got By doing that, Ed got back into the business and started producing records again. Uh, yeah, Sonny Knight, who uh, had the, the wonderful song Confidential, Sonny had not been uh, back to the States in 65. We found him living over on a little island in Hawaii, and he said, gee, do you think anybody can remember that song? And wow, said, oh, great soon. It's just wonderful to bring these people back. Uh, in, in many cases, started their careers all over again, got them on the circuit, got them working, and uh, so many who said to me, I've never played before this many people in my life. Isn't that amazing? In my, in my career, and uh, people would walk off the stage in, in tears, uh, it was an emotional moment. People who hadn't seen other uh, artists and friends in 30, 40 years. Uh, we put the Velvetones back together with the glory of love. Uh, the first time that these guys have been together since 57. Um, very emotional moment. And uh, it's just been a great thrill. And in a way, they'd probably make a lot more emotional impact on the audiences today because... It brings back a lifetime of memories and then seeing them perhaps for the first time now. Oh, yes. And, and a lot of these groups uh, uh, didn't travel. Uh, a lot of them only uh, traveled for a couple of months with their hit, uh, if they were lucky. Uh, so many of them never played the West Coast at all because it just wasn't the venues and there, there wasn't the, the circuit to do that. Uh, I've always been a stickler for the original arrangement. Yeah so that the people in the audience got the feel. They're hearing that record just like they heard it in 1959 or 1960, not a, 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 you know, a, an updated version of it with horns that didn't exist on the record or, or something to that effect. So I wanted to make it a, a true experience to take those people sitting in the audience back in time um, and, and just recapture that moment. Or one of the 30 platters groups. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, if they want to get a hold of you, this is interesting because we're on the internet here. Uh, is it uh, www.legendaryshows.com? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, just uh, to wrap this up, I, I want to have just a little fun here with you, just for one question. That is, give me the biggest goof you ever made on the air because everybody asks me that all the time. What's the biggest goof you ever made on the air? I'll just tell you mine briefly uh, while you're getting ready for the answer to that one. I had a sponsor called Sam's Shirt Shop. And he had a contest on my show live when we did live commercials, which oh. you remember, Brian. Oh, and, yes, Brian. And I said, if you can go into Sam's shirt shop 
and say, Sam shirt shop 25 times without goofing. He'll give you a brand new arrow shirt or whatever the heck it was. So I started doing it on the air. Well, it went Sam shirt shop, Sam shirt shop, and I don't have to fill in the rest. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what was yours? (laughs) I can't think of of a a moment where I, I, I messed up extremely bad other than I do remember leaving the studio working a night shift and walking out to my car in the back, and of course there was nobody there at 10 o'clock at night to get a pack of cigarettes, and walking back and, and finding that the door was locked. Oh! Which, um, <laughs> and I think I was fairly new at this station, and I thought, oh my God, I'm yeah. going to lose and, my job. And the songs weren't all that long in those no, days. No, they weren't. And I, fortunately, I, I, I pulled the... Uh, I had a 55 Chev that I pulled around and got on top of it and climbed in through the bathroom window. It was a long, long drop, though. I'm, I just about broke my leg oh. on this one. But, uh, of course, the, the record had run out, but at least it hadn't run out for uh, an excruciating length of time. And the time. good thing but, is the story inspired the Beatles to write a song about uh, he came in through the bathroom window. Absolutely. It's a long drop. <laughs> Brian, I want to thank you for this, and, and Michael, too. Uh, it's just terrific. You've added a, uh, a different dimension. But, you know, all of us will agree to a man that I would do it all over again. I loved it. I love it today. How about you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much, Brian.